The Eastern Kicks podcast is brought to you in association with Guelo Beer. Use discount code EK10 at guelobeer.co.uk or guelobeer.com and get 10% off your order every time. Welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a regular magazine program about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Hey, Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, and festivals, often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. It's that time of year again, when the clocks turn back and the nights draw in. Nope. I'm not talking about the end of British summertime. It's lunchtime here. There's something very strange going on. It's another special Halloween edition. <laughs> and this time we're looking at some of the best in Hong Kong horror, from the 1980s to the present day. Meanwhile, Nina and Stephen share some thoughts on their favourites. But firstly, let's get on to that important question. What are you drinking this episode, James? Uh, well, since it's Halloween... Um... I'm drinking blood orange gin straight, which is which is actually it's orange. It's not blood coloured at all. But I think that's quite creepy, man. And it's straight spirits. That's probably creepier than anything. <laughs> How about you? What are you on, man? Uh, I've got a, a, a howling hops that I put away in the cupboard for quite a long time. It's oh. called Smoothing Fidelity, which doesn't nice. necessarily sound like a particularly scary S- brew. Strange name. Um, but it is an unadulterated imperial stout and 10.5%. Now that's where the scares come in. <laughs> that, that truly is unadulterated. <laughs> oh, very nice. Let's get it poured. There we go. Uh, this seems healthier, I think. The, I'm assuming there's real orange. There's real, there's real fruit in there, obviously. Yeah, they just squeeze blood orange into gin, I'm sure. But Well, here's to it. <laughs> uh, that'll do it. And on to Hong Kong horror. Yeah. Why yeah. are we talking about it this episode, James? Well, as well as it being Halloween, I think this is, you know, for better for better or worse, kind of a, a fitting time to be talking about Hong Kong horror with the the real horrors which have been happening of the national security law and everything. Um, which, you know, okay, we say the horrors, but I guess like everyone else, to be fair, we don't really know what it means, whether it's going to really mean mainland censorship coming to Hong Kong, which I guess kills the horror film. Whether it's going to be applied to the past, retrospectively films, we, we don't really know or anything. And, and that confusion is not going to be helpful anyway. Um, but certainly for guys like us, you, you know, I mean, I think for a lot of our younger listeners, of which I'm sure there are many, you know, the, it's all like the K-horror and the J-horror, which is the, the kind of, you know, the ruling the roost these days. Uh, and for quite, you know, I guess for, since the 2000s. But for guys like us, I, I guess, and for quite a lot of others, you know, we, you know, Hong Kong horror played such an important part in our, you know, cinematic development. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> no, you know, from the, whether we saw the films in the 80s, the 90s or whatever, but, you know, the, you know, the, the Mr. Vampires, the Chinese ghost stories, and then moving on to the, the category threes, everything is we're going to cover. Like these films are really, really important you know, pre, pre-2000 and everything. Hong Kong, like the rest of the film industry, was so influential. It was so many classic films, which are still loved today. And, you know, it, it, Hong Kong horror has not been great for quite a while, but now with these developments and stuff, it's just, it's very hard to see, 
if the genre will continue in Hong Kong or what form it will take. So mm. it seems a good time to look back at kind of modern modern Hong Kong horror from, you know, the eighties the eighties forward as you said and everything and you know, not exhaustively by any means, but just to, you know, pick out some of the trends and key films which we've you know, which have meant a lot to us and have influenced a lot of other a lot of other filmmakers, uh, I think it's fair to say, around the world. So, yeah, I think it's, without getting too melancholy, hopefully, I think it's a fitting time to, to spend Halloween looking back <laughs> at, some, at some Hong Kong horrors. So I think, yeah, before we, we, we really get started, I think it's worth setting out a bit of context. Yeah, and some yeah. of this we will come back to in, in future podcasts. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, one thing that, that I, I, I really hadn't thought about before, but it, it's true, is, you, you know, before the late sixties, you really can't find a lot of uh, Hong Kong horror films. Yes, yeah, yeah, they're really quite. I, I think there's there are. It's not that they're not there, mm. but they, um, but they a lot of them were made for the local Cantonese market in Cantonese language. They were yeah. black and white. I mean, cheap production. Um, you know, so therefore, in all sort of various ways, you know, you, you'd be lucky to kind of be able to find them and access them yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Um, I think mean, some of the stuff that you do think about, you know, does come out of the the Shaw Brothers. You know, most of that, you know, you've got the Enchanted Shadow, which of course yeah. is the latest remade as a Chinese ghost story. Mm. Um, but you know, and actually, it's probably the closest of the of the even the Shaw Brothers side of films for a long time to any kind of proper horror film because mm-hmm. that's definitely influenced by um, the Hammer, uh, yeah, Prince of Darkness, Dracula films. But, but most of the other films that you see during the 60s tend to be, you know, there, there might be a ghost, they're definitely on the ghost side of, of yeah. things. And, you know, quite often there might be a Chinese opera, you know, Hong Mei opera, you know, and, and mm. not really what one would be expecting from any sort of ghost or horror film, but it's just they're about yeah. ghosts and that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I totally, totally agree. And I, I mean, I think that's uh, another thing, I guess, to preface this chat by saying, like you said, like so many of these. These films, you know, with pre pre the period recovering are so hard to to see, like pre the Shaw Brothers stuff. But equally, I guess a lot of these films, which we're going to be talking about, aside from some of the big films like nineties films, anything that I mean, they're pretty much disappearing already, <laughs> as we know from our personal attempts to screen them. You, you know, it's yeah, yeah. These films for various are, reasons, you know, oh, the kind of version you can get hold of, but you know, it, yeah, even if you can at all. So it's you know, let alone actually get the 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 screening rights <laughs> exactly so i think it may be like in another like 10 years 20 years or something even some of these films um mm. are, are going to be completely inaccessible again so i think it's a case of if you if you can you should try and watch these films <laughs> watch these films while you can everything <laughs> because they're not going to be they're probably not going to be around because nobody really cares enough and there's no commercial reason um Mm. to protect or restore or to keep any of these films and everything which it's not that we're talking about you know necessarily classics uh, some of these films but a lot of these are possibly lost already or if not will be will be soon to yeah. all intents and purposes so it's uh yeah it, which is quite sad in itself i think so there's a great body of work um there which we're going to be covering and which was you know the, the periods we're covering as well i think pretty much everything we're talking about is it has that sort of unique hong kongness to it as well that, that whether it's you you know the sort of chaoticness mm. or the cantonese language the swearing the the sort of weird combining of different belief systems because they gave excuses to show different kinds of ghosts and vampires and stuff <laughs> liberal interpretations of taoism everything you know that all that was so hong kong 
And yeah, if this period of films then we're covering, if to a large extent disappears in the same way as what, like you're mentioning, then it's a, it's a real shame for that too. Yeah. So, um, but you're right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, starting this off with the with the eighties, then um, absolutely. But then start of the eighties, we were kind of coming to the the sort of the decline of the Shaw brothers in the form which we kind of knew them in. And and, and I think it's worth kind of setting that out because what happens in the 80s you know like every decade it always starts a decade before the film you know she was really Shaw Brothers really explored the kind of yeah. exploitation side mm. of, of all the things they were doing the yeah. erotic films mm, you know you mm. had really kind of the, the, the kung fu genre that they were they were trying to you know trying to make happen and, and that's when we start to get you know as we know them kind of proper exploitative horror films yeah. from Shaw Brothers, um, particularly, you know, and I think, I guess what happens with those films, and you've got examples that sort of tail into the eighties, like the Hex series yes. and stuff yeah. like that, is you do get the, 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 like everything else that Shaw Brothers were doing was really basically throwing everything <laughs> at the wall, you know? So, you know, I mean, let, let's talk about some of those, you know, just kind of, get into the 80s with some of the films and you get to things like like seeding of a ghost <laughs> boxes omen and corpse mania that are yeah absolutely fantastic they've yeah. taken everything that they were that, that's sort of created in the sort of black magic and yeah all those films have just just dialed it right up to 11 <laughs> <laughs> oh absolutely and those films were I, 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 it's like this idea of like as you say throwing everything in like the kitchen sink at the wall and everything but they, they that seemed to be pushing it in a more uh, graphic sort of direction of horror. Because yeah. a lot of those yeah. ones, I think you, you, know, you said, like CD Ghost Ghost Mania, Corpse Mania, I mean, they're by the standards of any country, the levels of like grotesquery and debauchery and depravity are, are very creative, you, you know, yeah. I, I guess we can say and stuff. And it was, you know, and, you know, somebody somebody wrote like a couple of really, uh, a really good article in Eastern Kicks about it, which... Um, Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was, but it's fantastic, <laughs> fantastic piece, award-winning, I would say. <laughs> but no, it was a, they, it's so it's kind of this mixture of like I guess like desperation to try and get these audiences in with this sort of exploitation, shocking, shocking content mm. and everything, um, uh, and the fact that they were kind of irreversibly in decline, kind of at that, mm. at that point, it was like Golden Harvest, everything you know, effectively taking over from them. Um, so they were trying desperately to do anything. I think at that point, kind of to bring audiences in. My name is Nina Doherty, and one of my favorite Hong Kong horrors is Seeding of a Ghost. Directed by Chuang Yang in 1983, it was part of the black magic boom that dominated the Hong Kong horror scene from the mid-70s to the mid-80s. And if you ask me, it is one of the best of the best that that subgenre has to offer. It tells a tale of a young taxi driver, Chow Tang, whose life 
takes an unexpected turn after he helps out a local black magic practitioner. Soon after this, Tang's wife gets raped and murdered by a pair of thugs, and as the local police department is little to no help, Tang decides to call in a favor from the wizard that he helped. With a little help from his wife's corpse, revenge is soon in motion, with the evildoers getting what's coming to them in a form of worm vomit, exploded toilets, terrifying hallucinations, and possession. Basically everything you would want to see in a good black magic film. Like most films in the genre, Seeding of a Ghost plays on the contrast between modern and traditional. Black magic obviously representing the old backwards ways. But it does differ a little bit from his contemporaries in the fact that the black magician is actually not the villain of the story, but even tries to warn the protagonist of the dangers of black magic. Luckily for the viewers, Tang does not listen to these warnings, and what we get is a fantastic trail ride of cross-out special effects and a gratuitous nudity. There is cheesy softcore moments involving a wind machine and saxophone soundtrack, as well as a John Carpenter-inspired bloody finale, which is sure to please most viewers. Seeding of a Ghost is the perfect place to start with Hong Kong black magic horror. It contains all the elements you want to see in this genre, and is a wonderful add to anyone's Halloween watch list. <laughs> You know, looking back on it, it's a spectacularly weird body of work from the Shaw Brothers mm. horror stuff in the early 80s, but which we're very lucky we actually, you know, we have, and those are films we still can watch on, on DVD and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So that's, you know, any of those are very highly recommended. And it's. Uh, yeah, and it, it needs something, I mean, like you said, we said before, we, we will definitely be coming back to yeah. a podcast specifically on the mm -hmm. Shaw Brothers mm -hmm. Um But it really does, I think it. it whatever you think about those films they really do set the tone for pretty much everything that comes next you know through the 80s and 90s and category three you do, you do. And i think as well that the other the other way in which the, the shaw brothers films and the shaw uh the shaw canon in general sort of sets the scene uh, is the fact that like you know a lot of these other hong kong horror films in the 80s certainly started off more with a still with like a historical or period setting you know mm. um you stuff like you know you know talking about like spooky encounters coming in 1980 which was the mm. you know that and i think that you know that kind of was very you know much a move away from the short the direction short brothers was going in there it was you know it was come it was obviously samo and it was combining like the martial arts the historical setting with the horror and the humor so it mm. was a very very successful it was a very successful film but it was a very successful mix of this kind of thing as well yeah. and it was kind of like you know Shaw were kind of even their martial arts films and stuff in the early 80s were getting pretty weird. Uh, yeah. No, actually very weird. <laughs> yeah. Very but weird at that point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were, because they were trying to do all kind of the, the they were trying to bring in all this, the, the sort of weird special effects. Yeah, and yeah. Sort of Star Wars feeling. And, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to tick every single box, but yeah, quite often miss most of them. Missing most of them, and, and, and what for us looking back now is a really entertaining way. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, and I guess with spooky encounters, like the same as when, um, 
you know, Golden Harvest and other companies started getting it, the, the Jackie Chan films like Bruce Lee and stuff, they, they just seem to be, again, sort of building on stuff that Shaw had done ahead of the curve where Shaw didn't really know where they were, where they're going with that. So mm. well, once we had that huge success of Spooky, spooky Encounters, it's not even... Which is the, the, it's, it's reasonable to say, actually, that the whole kind of Hopping Vampire film yeah. uh, started at Shaw Brothers with the Spiritual Boxer. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So they... Yeah. they, they you know, and you're totally right. They, they set the groundwork for most of the stuff, but then they just didn't <laughs> manage or, or didn't... or were too stubborn to, to sort of try and go along with these other trends which are mm. you know becoming more incredibly popular and, yeah, and spooky encounters it had the you know some of the reasons some of these other films like the jackie chan ones and stuff were popular because you know samo and jackie were more sort of bumbling everyday type figures rather than yeah. the shaw brothers sort of mighty warriors or stoic it was a very you know? yeah um, and i think that's probably the biggest difference and that's you know uh, really is the reason for the success you know and yeah. uh, the kind of the 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 bumbling innocence really mm-hmm. it is it, so much a part of yeah particularly in the 80s it, of, of those films you know yeah. from from the mist you know we're, we're coming on to it but you know mm. from the mr vampire series but even in a, a chinese ghost story you know absolutely yeah that's a young character who's no no i can completely agree and it's this more down-to-earth sort of feeling but then i I mean, after, uh, despite like Spooky Encounters being such a huge hit, I don't think there were too many other of these before, because Mr. You know, Mr. Vampire mm-hmm. were sort of mid-80s by then, but yeah, yeah. there was a few other ones like The Dead and The Deadly and stuff, but mm-hmm. there wasn't too many of those other ones like directly sort of following or ripping off, shall we say, Spooky Encounters immediately, yeah. say in the next five years, give or take. So it wasn't really until we got to Mr. Vampire again, where this really took off again, and then obviously Chinese Ghost Story kind of following mm. it and that by that time the sort of supernatural supernatural martial arts supernatural romance supernatural yeah, the fantasy kind of the waifu era of yeah of, of re- and, and very kind of 80s mm. blue red light <laughs> exactly. that kind of stuff yeah. you know and <laughs> but, bit of a, a bit of a strange kind of incidental bit with ghosts going on you know, at some <laughs> point you know we should get a mr vampire and we should get all the the, the, the main theme tune and try his ghost story you know, <laughs> kind of the the the, the canto pop really kind of kicks in I think. yeah yeah that's true as well we started getting a lot more of the the, the music and a lot of really you know obviously classic songs which is kind of weird it is actually going back to the the, the 60s genre in a sense but in a yeah no, no, no. But no. in a, can, a proper canto uh, pop play. Yeah, yeah. No, it's completely right. And it was we we were seeing these another sort of generation of you know stars coming through then in these films yes. as well. So everything was moving forwards very nicely. And these films were very, yeah. especially you know we've said Mr. Vampire and Chinese Ghost are hugely successful. And and this is where we we started, maybe not quite at the time, but you know we started getting these films over here in the UK as well. Uh, they were actually getting more international recognition, and not just in a grindhouse way. They were actually getting re- yeah. getting released and everything. So, so these films were very popular, which of, of course immediately led to, you know, lots of sequels. And you know, it, it being Hong Kong, especially at the time, where production was really ramping up in terms of speed, like so many ripoffs, <laughs> so many, so many, <laughs> you know, films with confusing names, which are pretty much the same, starring one or one or other of the stars of these of these two kind of key films. Um, Especially Joey Wong, who seemed to be in pretty much everything, which was basically similar to Chinese Ghost Story, you know. Um, pic- it's a picture of a nymph or portrait of a nymph, and all these kind of films, and all these other vampire films following Mr. Vampire, as well as the sequels, you know. Yeah. Here comes a vampire, vampire versus vampire, and 
all, all these all these other I don't know maybe maybe the Cantonese titles are slightly different but you know we got there's so many of these films which came out and after the success of these two and everything and, and most of them are still pretty fun you know yeah. actually looking back on them there's not you know there's not really any other ones which hit those heights but there was enough for this to be kind of the main the the sort of main uh, thrust of the Hong Kong horror industry for for you know the I, second half of the eighties. It's so much a part of the the the, the culture of this filmmaking though that, that it's really about entertainment and it mm -hmm. has always been in terms of Hong Kong and I think that's you know whatever kind of genre it is and often you know films that have several genres mm. it is all about an absolute you know roar of uh, a time in the cinema you know yeah. it's not about any kind of pretension it's just. You know, what can we do to make this film more entertaining? Basically, I mean <laughs> yeah. that that yeah. really typifies so many of these films. You know, and, and I mean you, you particularly see it in the eighties and nineties, this mm. and early nineties. This, I don't, yeah, because they were producing the films, making them so quickly that they were able to cash in on trends very, very quickly. Mm. And in that respect, yeah, absolutely, entertainment. Um, I don't want to say just like cheap targets, but you know, easy, low hanging fruit, anything like what was entertaining, they could turn it around a lot quicker. So it's not like maybe in, in the West, like we'd have, you know, Armageddon and Deep Impact turning up at the same time. But you know, these kind of things don't happen because you have such a long production schedule getting into it. But in Hong Kong, you could, mm. you know, a lot of the times I've been told they would, they, do you have a script? No. Okay. Well, we'll just start shooting anyway. We'll, we'll figure it out as we're doing the scenes. So you would have all these films coming out. And yeah, it didn't always work, but. Um, you got some very very fun and entertaining, if not always coherent films, <laughs> you know, from this period, which is which is very enjoyable. And yeah, I still look back very fondly in a lot of them. Um, mm. And this kind of continued through. I I think when we were getting, you know, we were getting to later in the eighties, we started seeing uh, some more sort of romance supernatural ones as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, which I you know I guess took that kind of part of Chinese ghost story. Uh, and then yeah. just changed it around with sort of like spiritual love or uh, I mean Rouge is you know a couple of notches above because it's um, you know obviously it's not a cheap exploitation or one but yeah. you know it's yeah. another one with sort of taking the supernatural theme um, and using it more for like a romance a sort of a bit more melancholy and everything and but at the same time, we also started getting uh, some ones which still tied back to the Shaw stuff like uh, the Seventh Curse you know. That, mm. which had that kind of it's black magic it's a amazing film uh, and it, the kind of precursor to, you know the witch from Nepal yeah and everything so we still had these kind of like black magic exotic things so mm. which I think was probably a result um, uh, just some people taking the horror being popular in general uh, so just you know that kind of trend with those two films never caught on quite so much I, I think uh, in the 80s I mean we still had some real well real horror as in it man's horror in the 80s and stuff we still had stuff like uh the imp uh dennis Yu, like 1981 which uh i've seen being referred to as like the first contemporary hong kong horror because the show most of the show stuff would have been always with a historical setting and obviously spooky encounters mm -hmm. historical setting so whereas the imp is it's one of the first ones i can think of there probably have been others but um you know, dealing with like a security guard in a haunted building which also has like some relationship trouble financial trouble just general uselessness trouble and everything. Yeah. So it, it 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 does have some more contemporary themes and um we had there was a few others floating around like uh, possessed one and two which were kind of exorcist 
knockoffs, but with, you know, again, contemporary, but a lot more sort of gore and nudity, bits of weirdness. Uh, the odd slasher, like He Lives by Night, but not many. The slasher trend never really went in Hong Kong, especially in the 80s. And then and then we also saw the, the kind of rise of, <laughs> of Wong Jing and everything with some, you know, which, uh, you know stuff like the ghost which snatchers. Which would be partly the semi-curse is part of that as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... You know, yeah, and that is very much the sort of definition of what you were saying of just anything which was entertaining, no matter how lowbrow and no mm. matter how little sense it actually made, just throwing it all together. Um, but he, I think, he, you know, he made some pretty good ones. Um, and I, even if he just produced rather than directed, I still would think of them as Wong Jing films. But mm. he, The Ghost Snatchers is a really good film. It's very, very yeah. funny. It's got the Mahjong ghost in it, which is just a bizarre Muppet. And it's got that's right. Really, and it's got. And I think we talked on. about it on a previous podcast. We, we we must have done because it's just yeah we did we it, did we did one on the uh, uh, Hong Kong comedy. Well, I think we did yeah, but it's just the Mahjong Ghost is burned into my brain then. But <laughs> 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 but we had we had that. But I I think at that stage we could start to see that things were getting, you know, they were getting what we would think of that kind of like chaotic Hong Kong thing more by the end of the eighties. You know, we were getting more of this kind of mixture of different genres, throwing stuff together, seeing what works. And um, we started getting a few films which kind of anticipated the 90s a bit more as well, the Category 3 mm. stuff. Like We had stuff like Devil Fetus, um, Centipede Horror and everything coming out. And I think probably one of the most important ones would be The Old Men Behind the Sun you know, yeah. in 1988, which was hugely popular and, you know, incredibly graphic. Chi 来源自美国国家档案局，苏联的日本战犯审判记录，日军残余分子揭露的口供，以及原址现场仍然生存的人员访问。It's one of those ones, you know, being about the, you know, the Japanese, you know, occupation and experimenting and torturing people and everything. Uh, World War Two. It's one of those ones. That I, I wonder now if you try to pass that in mainland China, you might get it passed. Just, be, just because it's so anti-Japanese. Because some of the sequels yeah. for it, uh, I'm not sure if the second one, but three and four uh, in the Men Behind the Sun series were mainland productions, not Hong Kong productions. Specific, you know, specifically for that reason. Uh, I mean, they're awful, but like, you know, what's it called? Like the Black, the you know, the Nanking Massacre. And, and there's another one which sounds like a guinea pig film, like Laboratory of the Devil type something. But and they're not, they're no good. But uh, that film was incredibly popular. And and I think seeing that that kind of extreme content combined with this kind of, you know, I guess it's almost like with what we were getting with the Shaws at the start of the 80s, we, we started throwing everything at the wall more. You know, we were, we were getting away from those kind of more classic stories like Chinese ghost story by the end of the 80s. And when we get to the 90s, then we start seeing a lot more, a lot more craziness, <laughs> a lot more <laughs> wackiness, exploitation and trash, I think, coming onto the scene. So let's move on to the 90s then. Yeah, 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 why not? Um, and at the start of the 90s, we were still getting some more of these sequels, uh, like Chinese Ghost Story. Mr. Vampire was still kind of dragging on for a while. Um, after we had... I'm surprised... And also, I think we, we you know, just into the sort of 
late 80s, early 90s is Dr. Vampire as well. Dr. Vampire, yes, yes. <laughs> very, very good. Fantastic performances, as we know, mm. everything. No, no, absolutely. And we were getting these wackier versions of it. Um, and a couple of ones which were trying to, if not update the formula, then stuff like Magic Cop, you know, which had still mm. had Lam Ching Ying, modern setting, great film. Sadly, not massively popular at the time and stuff. So... I think by the time we were getting into, you know, the odd sort of Chinese ghost stories, some of the bigger budget ones aside, uh, we were we were sort of losing some of those ripoffs at that stage. And uh, I think we a couple of key films I'd highlight then would be like you know, Erotic Ghost Story in 1990, mm. um, sort of soft porn Cat 3. And then 92, 93, we had like the untold story in Dr. Lam, which were all, you know, actually very, very popular. So, you know, in the case of the untold story in Dr. Lam, surprisingly well received critically. Uh, again, got some manner of over overseas release and not very expensive to make those either. So we had these. This is where you know my beloved category three. I think we really see sort of coming into the fore. You know, following the success of those films, and we started getting a lot of more. Um, for at first, I guess uh, separately, maybe like sex films, which were more just like soft porn or the kind mm. of true crime, lurid, torn from the headline stuff, like uh, Untold yeah. Story and Doctor Lamb, which were both, you know, drawn from very loosely, very graphically from, from real stories. Uh, so we started getting those kind of stuff, like the Daughter of Darkness films, everything like that, w which were quite popular. Lots of, lots of different versions of Untold Story, whether it was Secret in My Soup or Human Pork Chop, you know, all <laughs> these kind of rip-offs and... Uh, and everything um, and then we started you know there was yeah. some of the weirder stuff in category 3 which was like the run and kill the, the red to kill you know eternally evil at Asia Ebola syndrome and, and then on the sex side we're getting very very big hits like sex and zen um, yeah the erotic ghost story films are all big were all big hits and stuff so we, we the category 3 stuff was actually you know I think it's interesting when we look back at some of these films some of them were surprisingly popular you know even like on a mainstream level you know if not respectable but they, they were still actually getting a lot of audiences in and they were getting quite reasonable releases in hong kong cinemas so we look back at them now we, we see this kind of craziness and this extreme content which it is you know th these films are still you know pretty <laughs> pretty shocking even by today's standards and everything but um at the time, some of these were, you know, they were sort of general, genuinely, you know, popular productions at the time. I and mean, we were talking about the main ones here. There was obviously an undercurrent of really, you know, shabby ones, to, to be polite yeah, about yeah. them. Lots of ones which were shot for pretty much zero and were probably shot just so the, the main actor could feel up the actress and everything like that, unfortunately. So there was a lot of crap out there. But it, it was, like, the Category 3, you know was so popular we kind of had like a knock-on effect still so we were still getting a lot of films which maybe weren't rated category three but which were still that kind of trashy stuff which were coming around by the mid 90s and everything so i think that kind of 1990 to you know 95 96 period and everything was a very it was still a very very creative one we were getting more and more films getting made for for lower budgets for everything was very prolific but it didn't last massively long. I mean, pretty soon you were scraping the barrel with the the Rape by an Angel series and all these other ones, which were just churning out entry after entry after entry to to ever decreasing returns. So it kind of ate itself. That kind of category three trash trend and everything like that. And but by the time we got to this sort of mid late nineties, it kind of burned itself out in terms of actually decent decent entries in the genre, which is a shame because it's you know, yeah. it's never really been replaced again. But 
you know, when we were in the mid, we, when we were in the mid nineties, there were probably other reasons for that as well. There was a lot of stuff happening. Like you know, we had the you know the Asian economic crisis coming. Film piracy started to become a massive issue in Hong Kong. Yeah, stuff like Jurassic Park was a huge hit. It was just kind of taking over the the domestic box office. Um, while on the plus side, they made so many films during these you know late eighties, early nineties. On the downside, people were getting more and more used to working with these really really minuscule budgets. And saying, yeah, we'll shoot it in a week. And, you know, we, I was joking before, like, you know, shooting without a script, that kind of thing was happening more and more. So the quality, you know, and I, and I still love a lot of these films, like these, <laughs> but the quality nosedived, you know, and there was a, a good reason for, you know, the decline of kind of the popularity of stuff. But uh, the other thing at the time would be the, you know, the kind of looming threat of the 1997 handover. You could call it the handover yeah. or you can call it the reunification. Depending on, <laughs> depending on how you want to see it and everything, but that would you know that was obviously going to be a big, you know, a huge change coming for people. But mm. um, I and you can kind of get an anxiety in some films coming out for, it, but I don't, it wasn't, it wasn't really that explicitly dealt with on screen on screen by that many films or anything. The the kind of worries of the about the handover and everything, whatever that kind of suggests and stuff. We had a, a few films about it, like um, Intruder, which is a Category 3 one, weirdly by Milky Way. So it's actually produced by Johnny Toe, and it's, it's about like a mainland prostitute, kills a Hong Konger, steals her ID, comes to Hong Kong, and then targets this lonely Hong Kong guy and just like tortures him for the rest of the film to try and get his ID card for her equally criminal mainland husband. And it's, <laughs> and it's basically a message is communism is evil. <laughs> but there, you know what I mean? You, you would kind of expect more films, especially, I mean, horror, you know, we're so used to horror, I guess, in the West being, you know, you can, you can not necessarily successfully or subtly, but you can insert pretty much any metaphor for any, yeah. anything into horror. But there's not very many, or certainly not too many that I'm aware of, were, were really dealing mm. with that in Hong Kong at the time, which is, um, I don't know, it, it's it's kind of a shame, I guess. But we do come on to a few later on in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a few things, a few things come up later and stuff. But mm. I think this, at that stage, was you know th this was I guess when the the kind of um, <laughs> the death bell was sounding a bit, <laughs> it was sounding a bit, you know, so sort of nineteen ninety seven and. You also had the you know Titanic coming in nineteen ninety seven was such a huge hit all across Asia, but in Hong Kong, you know, it just wiped out all the other local films and stuff. Uh, it it was mm. so these these kind of things were so big at the box office, and you still had some local hits floating around like Storm Riders and stuff. But you know, we were seeing Hollywood yeah. films really dominating, and but at that time, the, the uncertainty of what the I'm going to call it the handover. Well, it was actually going to mean financially, commercially, and everything for people. There's a lot of mixed emotions going around, so yeah, it wasn't really though a great time for horror. And you know, we did start to see some stuff still, which is pretty good. Like we started getting back to more like anthology films. Uh, anthologies had always been pretty popular in Hong Kong. Like we had quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, even the Shaws made a few. Um, yeah. yeah. What's it called? Return of the Dead. Return of the Dead. So I don't remember which year it was, but it was in the seventies. Uh, you know, we had quite a lot of them. Um, then we started getting stuff like uh, the Troublesome Night series, mm. which I still really like. The Troublesome Night, all all nineteen of them. Um, I mean, it stopped being an anthology after part six, but it was you know Herman Yao was directing them, and they were actually pretty good quality. A lot, a lot of the the entries in there, you, you know. So I, I think 
that that was quite a trend as well. Day doesn't exist, Midnight Zone. Uh, a few years later, we got Haunted Office with Shu Chi. So, you know, the anthologies were quite a big thing. We had a few other good films like Biozombie, which is still yeah, an amazing right. film, right? Um, yeah. That's one I'd really like to watch that again. <laughs> Biozombie was one I just wish somebody would remake that somewhere, but still with like a Hong Kong style. Because obviously, we have, you know, it kind of takes off Dawn, Dawn of the Dead and stuff and in such a kind of Hong Kong way, instead of like a big shopping mall it's one of those sort of cool underground shopping arcades with, with vc pirate vcd sellers you know It's just so 100% Hong Kong that it would be great if somebody, you know, somehow managed to revisit it properly with that same kind of style and energy and stuff. But um, Last Go Standing was a really good one as well. It's, it's kind of like demons with the plot where they're all in a cinema trapped. And Francis Ng plays a very, very bizarre camp version of the devil. And <laughs> I, I can't really describe the plot because there isn't one. It's just a lot of stuff happens, you know. But it, it, and that's kind of got kind of got some sort of post handover sort of uh, anxiety because it's sort of building up to midnight, which you, know, you can take midnight as being that kind of, uh, you know, that big change for the world coming, uh, and people are very mm. nervous about what's going to happen after midnight. So, it's yeah, it, it was an interesting time at the end of the nineties, but pickings were becoming pretty slim. And should we move over to the, the decade? Yeah, let, let's go. Let's go post handover then. <laughs> so you know getting to the early 2000s uh, I mean already we're starting to see you know the I guess similar to the confusion we have now about the national security law uh, a lot of people weren't too sure then about the financial and commercial side especially in making horror films because mm. with the opening with the the opening up that came with the the handover by then like horror films uh, or any films rather were starting to have to appeal to a mainland market if at all possible yeah. and you had cross-border investment going on and everything so obviously with the chinese censors being what they were you know and are and probably always will be uh horror films were kind of bottom of the <laughs> bottom of the list for investments and everything by that mm. stage you know um, but i think but, but you do start to see the effects of of uh, the sort of the J horror trend, oh, absolutely, in particular and, yeah. and you know, and, and and films like Sixth Sense and yeah, absolutely, maybe actually even more than maybe that's even more important than the mainland thing. To be honest, Hong yeah. Kong, you know, Hong Kong's always you know the cinema's always been great at jumping on trends and absolutely. I mean, Ring was what nineteen ninety eight, so after that, pretty much every Hong Kong film released film cover or poster would have someone looking like Sadako, 
<laughs> even if it wasn't that kind of film and stuff you, you would have that you would have that in there with stuff like Wicked Ghost even like Troublesome Night which started off pre-ring after the success of yeah. Ring it went very ring you know suddenly which is when Herman Yao kind of left the series I think he did the the first one which wasn't an anthology and then he ditched the series because after that you know I still like them but it was sort of a lot more that kind of J-horror type style and stuff and mm. we you know we had stuff like more direct ones like the eye then which were very much in that <coughs> which were very much in that uh, in that trend i guess you could say and you know yeah i mean the pang brothers had a had quite a career and i mean that that film traveled yeah quite well on. the sensation that swept asia has come to haunt America. That was part mm. of that was produced by Peter Chan, and you know yeah. I think we talked about this on previous podcasts. But yeah, he really got into a thing of producing these, you know, let's call them Pan Asian mm, mm. horrors, yeah. and actually making a bit of money out of them because he was seeing this trend for the J horror that was actually reaching Western audiences and and actually followed along very very well, very successfully. Mm-hmm. And stuff that he put his name behind, you know. So we get onto anthology series free and free extremes yes yeah or or free extremes too and free (laughs) (laughs) if you insist on the western (laughs) western naming of it um but he was behind a lot of those you know and including the sort of the 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 feature length version of dumplings yeah yeah and stuff like that yeah yeah and then those were um i don't know it was a nice period i guess for a while because it seemed briefly there was going to be a bit more hope for hong kong horror with the eye and with the two three films Mm. which did uh which did travel quite well. I mean, yeah. I mean, Visible Secret was another big one locally, but you know, yeah. it didn't really travel so much. You know, it's all no, this, it's much more know. of a, 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 a and yeah, and Hoi, it's, it's much more mm-hmm. of a, a local kind of ghost story, and it is very much the successor to. Weirdly, it is very much the successor to Spooky Bunch. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but even that, that didn't travel so much for a while, and you know, after this kind of brief. Uh, I guess with the with the three films and uh, the eye, you know the Pang Brothers still churned out a lot of pretty good ones. But yeah. there was you know some abnormal beauty, recycle, um, forest of death and stuff. But then it didn't take too long to drop off into say fairy tale killer diary. Did, didn't they have a, a they did a US film in oh, between there and then they started oh, to do lots of films separately. Uh, the messengers. The messengers. Yeah, that was. Um, I think that was, bef- was that was was that before Fairy Tale Killer? I think oh, it might have been because um, at this so. point, at sort of the late point, they start to do films separately as well. So you've got Oxide and Danny doing True. different yeah. films. Um, and I think is it Oxide that does the detective series? Yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oxide yeah. the detective one. But those were pretty good actually as well. Uh, I mean, I still like some of their films at least. I mean, Fairy Tale mm. Killer. Despite what I might have said on the video box, like. 
dot 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 like saw or something. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I remember being asked for a quote and I couldn't provide one. I didn't. I couldn't provide I, I, one that I'd be happy to. I mean, bless them. They did. You know, I was asked if that was okay, and I said, "Yeah, it's fine. I don't mind." I mean, it's 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 a nice sort of taking a sentence out of context, but never mind. It's fine. But it wasn't a good. By that stage, I think the writing was on the wall for them, um, hmm. which was a shame because they've never really massively come back from it. Yeah. you know from that yeah. e- either so um maybe we'll see more stuff in the future but but in general th- there was a few other things coming out around then like you know soy chang was starting to me make some good stuff you know like horror hotline big head monster which i think that's about the fifth <laughs> podcast six when we've mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it should be your mission just to work it in but i want you to try and work into it it's completely inappropriate next okay time. challenging <laughs> challenge except i'll just but i'll just say it shouldn't you say horror hotline the hooding monster <laughs> yeah. but you know that but that which again though that was like influenced by ring very much mm. as well as like blair witch which, which you know 1999 was a big hit internationally as well and but you know he was he was making stuff pretty consistently in the genre then as well like the new blood and some other stuff and we had some other hits you know like inner senses shiver yeah, and yeah. stuff you know i think previously we talked about that kind of like modern asian ghost film trend in another podcast mm. and there was a few good examples of that but i i think these kind of early 2000s is when we could really see hong kong horror kind of winding down um, yeah, and the sadly. ones which were yeah, really sadly, and the ones which were were popular were ones which were. I think we were getting into this kind of super watered down period of stuff like the twins effect, and everything like that, which was this sort of very conservative Hong not, Kong Buffy. Hong Kong, oh, that makes it sound good though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Though? These sort of very conservative um, ones, which could you know potentially appeal to the mainland market as well. Horror films which didn't really have any horror. In, well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, the kind of the rules you're not allowed to have ghosts, mm-hmm. some other things you're, you're absolutely not allowed to have. Doesn't leave a lot of options. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. And, and so, by the after, the, as you like to call them, the you know, the first few years of the noughties, uh, <laughs> <laughs> after that, you know, Hong Kong horror, you know, Hong Kong horror as we knew it in the 80s and 90s, I think, was was pretty dead. Stephen Palmer here, and I'd like to talk to you about Hex, a fun little horror from the last knockings of the Shaw Brothers studio released in 1980. It's helmed by Chi Hyung Kyuei, who is no stranger to the genre and whose CV includes films like The Killer Snakes and Killer Constable, and plenty of other films without killer in the English title. It's a film in three broad parts, two more successful than the other. And to be fair, the shocks and sights might be a little tame for the sore and hostile generation, but I think it's a fun Halloween treat. The first part of the film is basically a period Chinese version of Clouseau's Les Diaboliques. A consumptive wife called Chan Sao Ying, played by Ni Tian, and another woman called Lung Kei Wa, played by Tsu Chia Chen, conspire to murder her abusive husband, Young Chan Yu played by Jung Wang. Then Young's body goes missing, 
And of course, it turns out that Young and Lung are actually lovers, and that actually fakes his death to scare Chan to death. It's an effective, albeit short, version of the story, adding in some detail around Chinese funeral rites to form a solid base. Then the film turns into some kind of screwball comedy, apparently, with the ghost of the murdered Chan exacting revenge on her murderers. This part of the movie seems to turn viewers off, with the wackiness and, let's face it, uniquely Hong Kong humour not sitting well with what it came before and what comes after. But then finally we have 20 or so minutes of astonishing cinema. A witch is hired to drive out the spirit of the dead wife, which initially involves a fully naked woman dancing around, covered in what I can only assume are tattoos designed to ward off spirits. And then the witch spits dog's blood all over her. And then she writes all over a now equally naked lung, who has her ears ripped off. Those of you familiar with the Hoi Chi the earless segment in the Japanese classic Kwaidan, we know exactly what I mean. And then we have a coda, where it has revealed what was really going on in the latter two thirds of the film. If you paid attention to the opening of the film, and one key scene quite early on, it all makes some kind of sense, but I do know plenty of people who can't make head nor tail of things. I'll avoid spoilers, but don't forget to pay attention to the family portraits at the start of the film, and please remember the letter that the travelling salesman was entrusted to deliver. So yes, the scares in this film might be too tame for the modern audience, and that wacky middle section might put you off, but if you sit through it, you'll be rewarded with a magnificent 20 minutes of cinema that will stick with you for days. And we sometimes complain these days that mainland horror films are forced to eschew the supernatural, but I like to think that Hex shows you that you can have the best of both worlds and still remain pretty darn effective. And can we move on then to the, I, yeah, the, getting into the, to, into the last decade? And yeah, and we, which we you don't know, have I think, you know, a massive amount to say about. Lot. I mean, it's it's kind of weird because you, you do have some resurgences of, of certain mm. things, don't you? So you do get the sort of the, you know, you, you, you've got masses of films along the, the lines of, of Mr. Vampire, mm. like uh, Juno Max, Rigor Mortis, yeah. which is just such a, it's a very serious take on mm. it but it's a very but the actual there's a lot of fun in there and i think that's that's definitely one of those films where actually um Cara Hoy really stands out mm, mm. and really kind of made us a, a kind of remade her name as a dramatic actress let's put it that way rather mm. than being you know the um uh, my young auntie isn't it <laughs> it's a kind of you know who, yeah. who you know when she was doing all the martial arts really just completely re well, one of the films that really helped remake her career She's yes so that's true you know. but then you've got after that you've got was it Sifu versus Vampire oh yes um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vampire Cleanup Department nice nice film yeah you know you did this, uh, there's a few that are kind of picking up on old sort of, old kind of ideas you've you know, and again, you kind of come to some of the anthologies like <laughs> Tales from the Dark One and Two, yeah. which return yeah. to Lillian Lee. You yeah, know, of course, material. of course. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, um, with Simon Yam as well. You know, mm. Tales from. Didn't he? Did he direct one of them? I think. I remember the last one. Or maybe part of it. On part 
to he might have done but there's the Teddy Robin one which is actually my favourite one and he plays the lead character in it as well <laughs> I wonder what it's actually one of the better 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 um, films in the, <laughs> in the series I always thought it would have been they should have cut it back to being one film with the strongest uh, yeah I mean but it's because they were category 3 rated as well for I, I can't remember why his one's quite nasty he's proper gold school um, I think I remember the Teddy Robin one I need to watch those again man. I do have uh, pretty fond memories of them but um, but yeah, the, the, like a, like a lot of anthologies, they're a bit patchy. There's like, no, I suppose they're not troublesome night. Troublesome night is gold. I'm st- I'm just I'm standing <laughs> by troublesome night. <laughs> I mean, we could do a great podcast, a very exhaustive 19 films covered in a podcast, mm. or we could do one podcast per per episode. <laughs> Might not, I, I think we would lose our listeners after after three. Number four, but <laughs> oh, this is a hardcore would stay. The hardcore, both of them. <laughs> well, me and you. <laughs> oh. I never listened to the podcast. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> but no, there was. A, we also had like Hong Kong ghost stories, which wasn't too bad in anthology. Um, Always be with you, which was a troublesome night. I think it was intended as a troublesome night reboot, but what, which just didn't unfortunately go anywhere um mm. so we still had someone and it stuff. gets also kind of on the sort of the bringing back the sort of old school you've got the you know herman yao mm. kind of carrying on and doing things like gong tao um you know yeah. and, and then sort of sleep curse and stuff like mm-hmm. that it's kind of you know very much kind of keeping to his you know what he's known for and and, and you know like particularly gong tao kind of returning to that sort of old a school great film. Black magic <laughs> i do like it very much but yeah i mean yeah. the other one of one the other Films I, I really love of this period, mm. uh, yeah, would be Dream Home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think a it's such film. a, yeah. it's it's a really inventive, quite horrible, um, <laughs> in the way that some of the people are killed off kind of film, yeah. but incredibly, uh, just a beautiful social satire as well. It's just, I mean, everything about that. I mean that's I think that's one of the not just as a horror fan but I think that's one of the best Hong Kong films of the the new millennium we can I would yeah. say or even, and even just one of the best modern films actually about Hong Kong uh, yeah. in, in there yeah. as well I mean like, you can see like the social commentary in there everything but actually managing to just to to bring that together with as you said like very it is super gruesome especially like in the, yeah. Yeah, it was category 3 rated in Hong Kong but it was cut in Hong Kong and yeah. the version we yeah. got over here was was not cut in the UK, yeah. bizarrely. Same for uh, old um, Revenge of Love Story, which is not a horror film, but you know that was cut in Hong Kong, even though it's Category 3, and we got the full version for what it's worth. So, so there, was, there was a few films, but I mean, that's, that, that's pretty much exhausted a decade or so <laughs> with, mm-hmm. with what kind of we've just listed off. There weren't very many of these, and a lot of these weren't you know, massively popular, unfortunately, mm-hmm. either. So they were sort of more 
I, I think stuff like rigor mortis, what vampire cleanup firm done. I think partly because, you know, God bless the Juno Mac and uh, the fellow who did vampire cleanup, but genuinely fans of it, you, you know, who are doing it partly for the, the love mm. of it, trying to bring it back and stuff. So it, it's a shame these films weren't that successful. And so some of the other ones which were surprisingly successful was is a few of these fake documentary ones, like the cases one and two, the unbelievable stuff like that where you're kind of like fake horror ghost reporting stuff which I think are really great but they were su successful locally and of course went nowhere else at all because no one else is going to either believe it or, or really care too much about it so let's bring it right up to date you know what is the future <laughs> what is the future of Hong Kong horror oh. as we've said it's not looking good no it's not looking prognosis good, negative right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know. I mean, at the moment, we, we still have like, um, it's kind of a small batch of ones which were, mm. I guess, were shot over the last couple of years or, or even in the last two, three years and not come out due to COVID. So, uh, you know, stuff like Coffin Homes, uh, for example. Yeah. Yeah. That one with a really long name, um, which doesn't mean Hellbank or something running. Hellbank presents Running Ghosts. <laughs> That's that's it. Um, no, Who is I'm... this Hellbank? Why are they presenting it? Are they also presenting Peninsula by way? No, no, no. Exactly. So, oh, Sugar Street Studio. That, that's the other one. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. And there are a few others as well, but yeah. There's yeah. not. There's not many of them. Everything. Much. So. I honestly, I think. I mean, who would? I mean, if you were in the. I mean, even before mm. you know the the last you know, six months or so, uh, too much for six months or so, I think you would be mm. really hedging, you, you'd want to be hedging your bets and not taking a gamble on producing a horror Yeah, because it's, I mean, and you still... You know, and you wouldn't, you even, I mean, I remember um, when I interviewed Philip Young about yeah. Board of Gold, which oh, yeah. again is a category for film. That's right, know, yeah, Actually, yeah. it's quite... It's quite gruesome it in is. places. It is. Yeah. You know, he was like, "Well, I've made this film, and <laughs> I know it's not going to travel to the mainland. There's no chance." And it's he's... like I made a home movie, basically, and <laughs> uh, and he's not not having a great time with his most recent film either. No, no. Which I, I think it is starting to uh, emerge, but there's uh, what, whatever they've done to it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll after it was so unceremoniously yanked from the. In the opening night of the Hong Kong Film Festival, but I don't know. I think it's this uncertainty because uh, we we've mentioned in some other stuff before. I mean, we've seen like mainland producing not horror films, but online stuff like you know that um, the Enchanting Phantom and whatnot mm. and stuff like that. So uh, it's kind of weird not, because it, I mean, is it that the stylized ghost story is now okay? Well, I think it's mostly that the online censorship isn't currently at the same level as the cinema. You know, right, the cinema is to change. It's going to change, it's absolutely. Not, if it hasn't, considering how... Yeah. Without this podcast getting too political, but considering how much of a clampdown there is on, on everything that's, online now. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. You know, you're right. It's probably... Yeah, we, may look, we, we come to look back in a few years fondly on the Enchanting Phantom. <laughs> Those were the days. The days of the great days of freedom. Um, but no, no, I completely agree. It's whatever the Hong Kong has always been such a creative place for making films. I think yeah. if there were actual set in stone rules, then people would find a way to work with them, work around with them, yeah. Yeah. and would do something. But now, yeah, it's just you have no idea what's going to happen, and which is the situation in the mainland most of the time anyway. Like the 
the rules can change on a daily basis without you, you being told you can you know green light a film get the script approved get your production approved get your shoot approved edit approved and suddenly yanked from cinemas because the rules have changed in the last two years so you know we're, we're two weeks yeah <laughs> or you didn't or you didn't bribe the right person but um but yeah so for hong kong horror i mean i have you know we hope for the best with this because you know we, we you know even in this sort of very rapid fire run through and man i'm sure there's a million other films we could have mentioned with great affection yeah um yeah. It, there's so much of a an incredible body of work from the 80s and the 90s you know even even the sort of lower quality stuff the rip-offs and the, so many of these films i still managed to find like something endearing or enjoyable <laughs> about these ones man which i think you know i, I always prefer cantonese to mandarin but that you know whether it's the swearing or just the the, the sort of local color and flavor which comes out yeah. in these films yeah. and stuff man even though you know i fully accept that we're probably getting half the jokes because of the quality of subtitles we're used to <laughs> you know, which are actually funny in their, their own way and everything like damn you fathead or anything <laughs> you know that's a different level of comedy itself but uh, uh i can't no i just i can't see it ever going back to those days and everything has to evolve and move forward and stuff but there's a difference between if hong kong horror was evolving into something new it's always going to be commercial very mm -hmm. ruthlessly ripping off stuff and throwing stuff together it, it would always have that quality but there's a difference between it, it doing that uh, and sort of developing or evolving or devolving into something or just basically being in this kind of complete limbo at the moment without too much hope for for the future. And, you know, I, I don't see anything other happening than Hong Kong coming under the same sort of uh, rules and regulations. It's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a, a sad thought to, to kind of leave us on, but you know one of the most yeah. horrific films of recent times was Ten Years. Yes, and it yeah, didn't even yeah. take ten years for <laughs> it to happen. Boom. Yeah, no, no, no. You're quite uh, absolutely. You, you're quite right, and and you know obviously you know, we always knew these things were going to happen, but it's just it's happened so suddenly. And for I I don't know how a film industry, um, especially the genre side of things we're talking, about, I don't know how that kind of adapts and that short of short space of time so but and for what that means for the horror industry uh, i guess we'll have to see but hopefully if nothing else hopefully we won't start seeing this rigorously applied retrospectively because i i guess pretty much all the films we've just talked about wouldn't pass muster you know in that respect i don't think there's too many that would pass the pass the old censorship stuff and um i understand that to an extent you know this is a, a sort of kind of Westerners, outsiders looking at stuff because from the from even from like a mainland Chinese point of view, they're just used to using VPNs and they're like, well, it didn't get released officially. It doesn't matter. We'll just watch it anyway on the VPN. So for us, it's more just you know, complaining from our sort of uh, you know our position over here <laughs> and thinking like, hopefully these films will still get made and stuff, and hopefully these one these older yeah. ones won't get banned and stuff because we'll still have ways to watch them. But it's just yeah. It's just a shame because I think it's great how international the Korean genre is, whether it's on, you know, the, the TV with the Squid Games and stuff or the a lot of the films which are still, you know, uniformly getting to film festivals. That's great. But yeah, Hong Kong horror is always going to have such a place in our hearts, I dare say, that, you know, seeing it without too much hope for the future is, yeah, it's just a shame. But maybe it will, maybe it will come back from the very grave somehow as a ghost haunting <laughs> Haunting people, <laughs> haunting the censors. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
that's it for now. Don't forget you can find all of our previous episodes on Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now and you'll never miss an episode. <laughs> but for now, as a toast uh, to Honkovora. Uh, cheers. Here's to you. <laughs>